You are listening to Inside the Tunnel, a Virginia Tech sports podcast presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. All right, dog, we're back with another week of podcasts. Unfortunately, we have to do this one. Doug, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm good this week. Uh, we got baseball playoffs starting tonight and hockey tomorrow night. So a little, little something to maybe take uh, take your mind off the football that happened over the weekend. Yeah, just focusing on other sports is a pretty good way to escape the football reality right now. I think so. That's what I'm going to go with. But we do have to unfortunately talk about last weekend the catastrophe that occurred on Friday night inside Lane Stadium. Duke beats Virginia Tech 45-10. to 10. It's the worst home loss in 45 years. What can you give me here? Uh, that was brutal. Um, I guess worst home loss in 45 years. Um, I think the game they lost way back then was against Houston, I think is what it was. But just just when you, when you go in, coming off a of bye week, especially when you see things they had, you know, two weeks to kind of get everything figured out, get everybody healthy, put together really what should have been teed up for their best performance of the year, and then obviously come out of laying eggs. They played really well in the first quarter and even into, the, I guess, the minute or two into the second quarter. I mean, the defense was lights out, and if, if they were going to be um, hanging around in that game or at least leading that game um, for a while. And so obviously the fumble that everybody's dissected from Hinden Hooker, so... Just overall, I mean, after that point, everything went downhill, downhill, and by the fourth quarter, the lane stadium was empty. wasn't much traffic leaving, thanks to everybody sparsing out their departure times. Just another really disheartening loss. I mean, you go back to last year, you know, when the Pitt won, beat Virginia Tech 52 to 22, and then Georgia Tech 49 28. Those kind of similar games were after. At a, after a certain, after the first quarter or so where Virginia Tech was competitive, they got to a point where they just weren't competitive at all and it ended a blowout. So not really too much you can say other than you know, they got a lot of work to do. I thought it was interesting that last week we both said expect Duke to score in the 30s. I know a bunch of people were kind of looking at that and saying no way that this Duke team can break 30 points on Virginia Tech and they end up scoring 45 so that that caught me by surprise and then in the fourth quarter the fake punt and going for it on fourth down with a backup quarterback for the touchdown you know running up the score so to speak uh, from David Cutcliffe clearly unhappy with his 0-3 record against Fuente and trying to make a statement inside Lane Stadium I thought Duke was a very solid team I didn't think they were anything special I thought when you look at that first quarter, it kind of tells the story of Virginia Tech that you see this team and, and they're trying and they're close. And then all of a sudden, one bad play happens. All of a sudden, you know, one bad break in the second quarter, uh, the missed handoff between Hennon Hooker and Keyshawn King uh, for like negative 40 yards, whatever that was. It was a ridiculous fumble. And all of a sudden, you know, Duke has a little bit of momentum and then Virginia Tech just kind of dies out. So it kind of feels that these past two years, it's like anytime there's that adversity, when it's the breaking point, it's either you or them uh, to, to make a play to get back in the game. It always seems to be the opposition. So it, it definitely was a tough game and a lot of talk about the future of Virginia Tech under Fuente. What do you make of the reaction from fans, big picture, about Virginia Tech? I guess the reaction is fair. Virginia Tech is 1-7 in seven or something in their last eight ACC games. Six, finished 6-7 six last year, 2-2 two two this year. So they're 8-9 over their last 17 games, and it doesn't look like that number is going to get any better. I think a lot of this <laughs> criticism has been levity on Justin Fuente and whether he's the right head coach. Obviously, a lot of criticism for Brad Cornelson and the offensive coaching staff, which I think is all warranted at this point. They they struggled. They lost the Boston College, struggled against ODU and Furman, and they come back after a bye week and get blown out at home for the biggest loss in 40-plus years at Lane Stadium. So all the criticism and all that is 
warranted, and I'm sure Justin Fuente would tell you the same thing that you know that that they should be judged on the results and what they put on the field. And right now, it's not enough. So whether uh, I think we're going to get into this, but there's a lot of uncertainty here over the last eight games of the year um, of what what Justin Fuente might do, what with that what with Babcock might do, depending on how the rest of the year shakes out. I do want to get your perspective. There was a big talking point this week after the press conference. Now, Justin Fuente usually doesn't reveal a lot. If he were to say that anything was changing, you know, that would be like the sky is falling. Uh, So when asked about perhaps taking over the play calling duties, he declined and said it wouldn't really change anything. What's your take on that? Do you think it's such a big deal that that Fuente's saying, you know, Cornelson will continue to call plays? Or do you think that he should have came out and said that, you know, something has to change in that regard? Um, I'm taking over. It's my time now. Now, you know, I think he's probably right in terms of play calls. There's always play calls that everybody's going to hate. Even in a win, even when things are going well, people want to change the play calls. If If it doesn't work, it's a bad play. If it works, it's a great play call. So, you know, I don't think, Changing to Fuente at this point is necessarily going to change much in that it's the same playbook. It'll be the same game plan. You know, you got these set of plays that you're running in this situation. You got these set of plays that they're running in this situation. You're not going to really get, I don't think, Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson are that different that you necessarily get a big change. I think the biggest the biggest hurdle, the biggest problem right now is Virginia Tech playing two quarterbacks that are both banged up and they haven't been good. They don't have a running game or they don't have a consistent running game. Their number one wide receiver, Trey Turner, is banged up. Their number two wide receiver, Damon Hazleton, has missed, played for the first time against Duke. And then the offensive line has struggled all year because it's loaded with freshmen. So I think that kind of combination of things limits what Virginia Tech can do as far as the playbook, as far as making play calls. When you've got a quarterback with an ankle injury and a shoulder injury and his backup's got a shoulder that pops out all the time, can you combine that with an offensive line that's not the best offensive line right now? You know, it's hard to imagine a different play call would necessarily go better. So I think he's right there. Um, I won't, I won't be surprised if maybe it's a subtle change and he's getting a little more involved in the conversation with Cornelson and what play they're calling and all that. Maybe he you know, can trump it right at the end, right before it goes out to the quarterback. I think Jerry Kill is probably heavily involved um, in, that, in that situation, but I don't think going in to the press conference and announcing that Brad Cornelson's essentially been demoted would necessarily change anything. Yeah, I think you 100% nailed it. I think that anyone that thinks all of a sudden everything's going to magically change by singling out Brad Cornelson, uh, I don't think that's wise. I think you you mentioned it. There's so many individual micro issues on the offense right now, and I think those need to be addressed first. And you look at it, right, any time a play call is considered good, it's working, right? And right now, not a lot of things are working. And I think a a big part of that is that the offense just continues to turn over the ball, that there's so many mistakes every single game. It it just seems to be spiraling out of control. And, you know, the lack of confidence in the offensive line. I actually thought that Virginia Tech pass-blocked well. I thought Willis just – we assume, I guess, as – Everyone that's covering this program, you see him throw for 2,700 yards. Uh, You see him throw 24 touchdowns, eight interceptions in relief of Josh Jackson last year. And all of a sudden you assume, okay, well, he can throw for 3,000 yards. He can throw for 30-plus touchdowns and be the savior of this offense. He's a senior, one of the very few, and he's going to take a massive step forward. It just seems whether it's health issues, whether it's confidence, whether it's maybe opening up the playbook too much for him, that it just seems like Ryan Willis has regressed. And I think that's probably the biggest conversation point of all the issues on offense. And then you factor in how youthful the offense is, how 
key guys have been hurt on the offensive line at wide receiver, like Damon Hazleton. Glad that he's back because he clearly made a splash with his one catch for 72 yards and a touchdown. But there's just so many micro issues on this offense. Are there any changes that you'd like to see heading into Miami? I don't know how many changes you can make um, without banged up. I mean, I, I think I, I think at this point, you, Deshaun King only has six carries against Duke, and maybe that was maybe his injury against Furman is a, was was hanging around a little bit, or maybe that was just Wente benching him after the fumble. You know, I think at this point in the season, you kind of got to let it ride, even if he does fumble. That's probably the biggest change in terms of just what they can do offensively. He's a guy that makes guys miss and turns a two-yard run into a six-yard run. And if you can, if you got two banged-up quarterbacks that you're trying to play, playing on schedule where you're, you know, second and five, second and four, third and two, you know, trying to stay on schedule as an offense, picking up more yardage on first down, I guess is probably the best way you're going to help, you know, Ryan Willis who is dealing with a couple injuries and hasn't been, hasn't been that effective, but where he's effective is, you know, he finds Savion Robinson over the middle just fine. Um, so I think that's really the only, only change you can really make. I mean, everything else is, you know, you'd love to get Trey Turner back healthy. You'd love to get Damon Hazleton going, um, but he hasn't practiced much in the last six weeks. <laughs> that's that's the task, I guess, for Cornelson. I think more so he touched on Willis and his expectations this year. I think more so on the play calling criticism for Cornelson is, is the play of the quarterback is probably on him more. And, you know, maybe he just got, you know, torpedoed by health, but as far as changes going into this game. I don't know how much you can change on the fly in a week. Now with the offensive line, I think it's pretty set in stone. You know, Brian Hudson and Doug Nestor look like they're going to avoid a redshirt year as true freshmen. Uh, Silas DeZanzi, up and down season, played a little bit better. You know, still that communication on the offensive line is a major takeaway for me. <laughs> Again, you know, if they if they had someone in the middle to be shot calling and pointing out blitzes or whatnot you know Willis did get that big sack on on third down uh, in the second half uh, which was completely whiffed on by the offensive line Uh, unfortunately Tyrell Smith will now miss the rest of his redshirt senior year with a patella injury Uh, I believe he got surgery either yesterday or today so prayers up to him but we mentioned it that he was a guy that we believed could slot in there and kind of shore up that offensive line, bring some veteran leadership. Uh, but at this point, I, it just feels like you kind of have to take your your lumps and bruises with this young offensive line and just hope that they can properly develop. That's a good point. I mean, I think the one guy you're waiting to get back is Zachariah Hoyt at center. And I think that's a position where if he comes back, I think you have to put him in. Um, if he comes back this week, and he's healthy, and he's ready to go for the rest of the year, then maybe you can get Hudson in under the four-game rule and get him a red shirt. Um, but also, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, if that injury has been hanging around for Hoyt so, and, until this point, um, it's hard to expect to get through the rest of the year without playing Hudson. So, yeah, I think I think you, you move forward. What you got here, I think Gary, Gary Hill mentioned that at his press conference. It's just how important he thinks it is to get five guys playing the same positions week after week. And, you know, Darisol's a sophomore, Smith's a sophomore, Hudson's a freshman, Nestor's a freshman, Dandy's a sophomore. If you're going to, if you're going to just roll with them, it's, I mean, this is a season that Virginia Tech's two and two and most everyone's expecting them to lose a handful more games. I think rolling with, you know, three sophomores and two freshmen, for the rest of the year and then heading into next year with five returning starters on offensive line. Not a bad idea. Now defensively, obviously giving up 45 points is never a good sighting for Bud Foster's defense and kind of unheard of except for these past two years, I guess. They did look good in that first quarter, only allowing five total yards. I thought they handled that triple option look from Duke exceptionally well. I thought there was bright spots in certain places, but then 
you know, whether it's the frequent rotating and getting guys cold off the bench, it just seems like there's just a lack of cohesion, especially in the back end with those big trick plays and uh, the big run from Duke. What would you like to see defensively, if anything, to change there? Yeah, I think getting garbage back at defensive end is going to really help as he as he kind of gets back into game shape. It's got to be tough to to get to train all year and then get hurt and have to basically sit out for four weeks or something and then come back and try and be try and be in the best shape possible. You know, he's obviously probably much in much better shape against Boston College than he is now. So I think he'll work back into that. I think so that'll help on the defensive line. I think the position everyone's watching right now is probably back there with Dak Collisfield and Alan Tisdale. I think, you know, Tisdale didn't play much against ODU and Furman, and maybe that was a little bit of Bud Foster just trying to give him experience and trying to get him to work through it. So maybe Tisdale was hurt and we never knew about it. But um, I think that's a position that I'm watching. Tisdale's definitely shown shown the ability in his limited time to, to be an option there, and he brings a little more athleticism. I think particularly against Miami, um, that'll be that'll be beneficial to, to have a little more athleticism there. I think Dak is still struggling. Um, it happened a couple of times against Duke and where they can kind of isolate him on, on back coming out of the backfield or guys in the spot or things like that and then kind of pick on him with a short pass. Um, I think Miami will do that a lot. So that's the position I'm looking at. And then, you know, the Virginia Tech's just got to figure out some way to get better better, more impactful play out of the Diablo and Reggie Floyd. Um, those are two two veteran safeties that Virginia Tech is counting on a lot, and they're not um, making the kind of, you know, impact plays to, to really lead the defense um, that Virginia Tech needs. The backer spot will be heavily contested throughout the next few weeks. I know we'll touch on it when we talk about Miami. But I think especially with their play-action heavy offense, I think a guy like Tisdale who can kind of react and maybe use his athleticism to cover better might be the better option coming into this week. You know, defensively, it just feels like 80% of the time they're playing well, and maybe that's, you know, a little too much to give them. But just that 20% of whatever it is these past two years, just giving up on plays, those you know, not identifying, being scared to make mistakes and, you know, swarming one side of the field. And then all of a sudden you see on your television screen that a guy's wide open. So, you know, there are a few problems there that should be ironed out. Obviously, I think the defense will get a lot better once the offense starts clicking, if they ever start clicking. It just felt like they were on the field the entire game, even though that might not have been the case. You know, eventually any defense that plays that much will get exposed. So we'll, we'll see on that front. But um, I do want to bring this back big picture, and I think we'd be a little remiss if we didn't at least address this. The Justin Fuente out crowd, what, what do you have to say to them? Do you think this is a massive overreaction off the heels of a, a big blowout at home, or do you think that – this should have legs to it, this argument that maybe we should fork up uh, $15 million amongst all the fans uh, to get them out. I don't think it's an overreaction at all. You know, I mentioned it last or a couple minutes ago, they're eight and nine in their last 17 games. And, you know, they're not particularly close 45 to 10 against Duke. And they got blown out by Pittsburgh, got blown out by Miami, blown out by Georgia Tech last year, blown out by Notre Dame last year. Went out, let me know, lost by 14 points to ODU last year. So, um, last few seasons haven't gone well. And I think there's a there's a path to where Justin Fuente returns as head as head coach, and that if if we see improvement um, down the stretch, and really we're looking at the last probably four or five games of the year. If Virginia Tech can, you know, go on a run and win three or four, win win their final three and beat UVA, win four or five, something like that, um, I think they can keep them. But I mean, you look at that Duke game, and you look at the rest of the schedule, and 
you're like, other than Rhode Island, who do you feel good about Virginia Tech beating right now? And if it's nobody, and if Virginia Tech goes three and nine or four and eight this year, I don't, I don't see a way to bring back Justin Fuente as the head coach. If if Virginia Tech, but like I was talking about, if Virginia Tech can get to six and six and finish strong, and you know things start to you start to see improvement from all the young guys, and it starts to look like it's getting figured out, then I think you can bring him back. But uh, it'll certainly be interesting. Yeah, I think it's a tough conversation right now. I know a lot of people want it to immediately happen. Uh, I just don't think that's ever going to be the case that you would fire uh, Fuente, you know, right now. Maybe if Miami is a complete and utter blowout, you know, 55 to zero, I'm worried what that crowd's going to say and how many more pitchforks will join into the riot. Uh, but it seems like whatever the case is that you have to honor those first two seasons, making the ACC championship game, winning nine games the year after. Yes, the last two years have been bad. And it feels tough because last year there was a massive excuse that Virginia Tech is so young, all their key players went off into the sunset, graduated, went to the NFL. And then it seems like this year that the team is even younger. So it's like, how do you assess this year? It's supposed to be year four. There's supposed to be development of key guys, and that just doesn't seem to be happening. So I think my major qualm with what's happening right now is that there's clearly so much talent and anyone that's watching any of these games can can tell that Virginia Tech is just underperforming. I mean, you have weapons all over on offense. You have talent throughout defense, maybe not the most talented defense, but it just seems like the development, you touched on it, Divine Diablo, Reggie Floyd, it seems like they're not going anywhere. Ryan Willis just hasn't been playing well, and it's up to Fuente, the quarterback, whisper the guru that develops quarterbacks just hasn't been able to develop any of the quarterbacks on the roster right now the biggest thing is just the development of players Dalton Keene is a guy that many expected to be an all ACC guy and honestly I haven't seen much out of him I mean I know he's blocking most of the time but it just it feels like a lot of these guys that are key players just haven't taken that next step and that's where I fault the staff I understand there's youth I understand there's you know, circumstances regarding Bud Foster, his last season, and how that's going to affect recruiting and whatnot. But it just seems like there's so many factors right now. If they can iron out a few, maybe fans will feel a little better. If he could step up to the podium and, and give a little confidence to the fans, sure. But right now, there's just so many problems. And even talking with you, as much as we cover this team, it's like, there's there's not enough solutions out there to solve everything at once. And you know, I don't want to blame any of, of the fans or for their expectations having one of the weakest schedules in all of college football this season, but it just seems like we were a little naive to believe that just because they had one closed-door meeting after the mass exodus of transfers, that everything was going to be fine. And it just seems like they're still dealing with a lot of these same problems, and they keep popping up once again. So, I believe, you know, I firmly believe he's going to stay throughout the rest of the season. Maybe if if this Duke result continues the next four or five games, you know, who knows what can happen. Certainly, I believe that there'll be changes regardless of how the rest of the season turns out in regards to the assistant coaching staff. I just think that throughout four years, you're expecting development at certain areas, right? And I just, it seems like nobody's job is safe right now. I, I agree. And I think, you know, firing Justin Quinte right now doesn't really get you anything um, other than, you know, eight games of seven games of um, like, like lame duck football that don't like, don't really matter. Who knows who you're going to, you're just down and coach at that point. Um, and everybody knows the season's over. Um, so you stick with Quinte. See how the rest of the year plays out. Give him a chance to turn things around. Because um, that's really all you can do at this point. And then, you know, towards the end of the year is when, you know, the conversation has to turn serious and you have to really evaluate where things are. Um, I think he hit the nail on the head with the assistance. Defensively, we all know that's coming thanks to the retirement of Bud Fox. There's going to be changes on that side of the ball. I think offensively is is where everyone's looking and 
I think that's that might be where Jerry Kill's best value is coming in here in the middle of the year and about evaluating evaluating who is doing a good job, who should stay, who's you know, who's been dealt a tough hand and there's nothing you can do right now. Um, and then not only deciding who can who who needs to be replaced, but then also identifying the right candidates to to replace them. I think that's where Jerry Kill will will be a, a big help um, if Justin Fuente is given that opportunity. Obviously, where Jerry Kill and Justin Fuente can kind of get together and figure out you know what the coaching staff can look like and go through the interviews and all that stuff. Um, but well, it's going to be from October until, you know, I think through Thanksgiving, that Thanksgiving game against UVA um, with the National Signing Day. So close after that, I think it's a couple weeks after that, in the middle of December, um, you, you'd have to see some changes there right at the end of the year pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, going to be interesting. All right, so I do want to change perspective now and talk about the future in terms of next weekend, next Saturday at 3.30 in Hard Rock Stadium. Virginia Tech will take on Miami. Now, I have to be honest, before the year, I circled this game as possible college game day. Uh, So it is a little disheartening to know that both teams are 2-2. But uh, Miami 2-2 wins over Bethune-Cookman. And Central Michigan, a 17-12 to 12 win over Central Michigan, and losses to Florida and UNC. Uh, it, it seems like Virginia Tech and Miami are kind of in the same boat. Both teams kind of struggling to find their identity. For Miami, it's year one under Manny Diaz, the former defensive coordinator that took over the head coach. Uh, and it seems like Miami fans are also on edge that – this game really is going to tilt the scale for either coach, whichever team loses this game, that I've already seen some some fire Manny Diaz four games into his head coaching tenure with Miami. But I do want to specifically look at this Miami team. Let's talk about the offense uh, piloted by Jaron Williams, a redshirt freshman, a young offensive line like Virginia Tech, and then they also have some players out wide at running back, some talented, skilled players. What do you see out of the Canes on offense? Yeah, they're kind of in the same boat as Virginia Tech right now in terms of where they where they thought they were going to be and where they are now. Um, I guess meeting Central Michigan 17 to 12 at home isn't going to um, probably inspire the fan amount of confidence as beating Furman 24 17 at home. Um, so, you know, offensively, they're, they're better than they, you know, they're really good at the skill positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Um, they're redshirt freshman quarterback, Aaron Williams, seven touchdowns, zero picks this year. Um, I think anytime you can have a freshman quarterback enter October with zero interceptions on the season, that's probably pretty good. Um, DJ Dallas is a, is a really good running back. Jeff Thomas, at wide receiver, is a guy that is probably going to make a couple of Virginia Tech defensive backs miss in open space on Saturday. Um, and then their tight end, Brevin Jordan, is a, is, is a tough matchup for just about anybody for leading receiver. Um, but I think where, where this game is going to come down to is what Virginia Tech's defense can do with the Miami offensive line, which which clearly has struggled. They gave up 10 sacks against Florida, um, which is now way long ago. Um, but but it still holds true. Um, they struggle to protect the passer. They struggle to keep guys out of the backfield. I think they allowed like 36 tackles for loss this year. Virginia Tech's offensive line, which, is, which we've talked a lot about, has given up something like 24. Um, so... That's really probably what is holding back Miami is that they have all these they have they have a quarterback who takes care of the ball they have a good running back and wide receivers you can make plays but they just don't get the kind of blocking consistently that you know 
that would allow them to score more than 17 points against Central Michigan. Yeah, I think you're spot on once again. The only difference that I see really with Miami's offense compared to Virginia Tech's is really the turnovers that since they haven't committed as many that they're staying on the field a little bit more. But it seems like this offense is really centered around establishing the run. You mentioned it, DJ Dallas, a really good running back. I think he's going to be very tough to stop in the open field. Uh, But Jaron Williams seems he's not a running threat at all at quarterback, which is good news for the Virginia Tech defense. He seems to thrive when they establish that run and he's able to unlock the play-action passing game and kind of beat defenses that way, get them uh, a couple steps towards the line of scrimmage and and try to throw it behind them. Uh, They do have a couple big threats. Jeff Thomas, who came back after experimenting with the transfer portal, he's a really, really good wide receiver. Uh, He only has 15 receptions for 132 yards this year, zero touchdowns. So I think they're still trying to get him going, much like Virginia Tech is trying to get Trey Turner going. Um, Brevin Jordan, I believe, will be an NFL tight end. Very similar to James Mitchell, uh, you know, 6'3", 250-ish, a guy that can really command the game. I think that's really where James Mitchell will head to. Maybe Mitchell has a little bit more athleticism. After all, he is being used on the jet sweeps. Um, But in terms of this offense and how Virginia Tech matches up against them, are are there any – you mentioned the defensive line going up against the inexperienced Miami front five. Uh, On the perimeter, where are some of the matchups that you're keeping your eye on? Yeah, I think the perimeter is going to be huge in this game. Um, I wrote this in my game preview, but they run kind of the same quick passing attack that Duke is going to, that Duke ran, but Duke kind of ran it to like move the chains, move the chains, and pick up first downs, and you know they kind of hit their target and the, they fell down. Miami's going to get the ball out of Williamson just as quick as Harris did, but he's going to throw it. To the edge to, to, to Jeff Thomas, to Brevin Jordan, um, to a couple other guys, KJ Osborne, um, transfer from Buffalo. Um, but they're going to get it on the edge and then rely on their playmakers to make guys miss. Um, so that's going to put a huge amount of pressure on Caleb Farley and Jermaine Waller and anybody else that gets a matchup with a quick pass to the outside. Um, that to get to get those guys on the ground, I think Justin Fuente. I think I saw him talking about it. I don't want to butcher who was reporting it. It might have been on Tech Sideline, Tech Talk Live notes, or and somebody else's story. But basically, said that Miami turns like ten yard pitch routes into into touchdowns. So that's going to be the the area to watch is when when Williams just slings it out wide quickly. Can, can Virginia Tech get, get Jeff Thomas on the ground, basically? Um, so that's, that's that's the big area, other than the defensive line against the offensive line, is um, clearly, the, I think they're both related, because clearly I think Miami gets the ball out of Williams and quickly because they know he's not going to have much time. Um, but then once the ball gets wide, can Virginia Tech get him on the ground? Yeah, for me, I'm looking at Obviously, Brevin Jordan against Chamari Connor. I think that's going to be a very intriguing matchup. I know I always bring up Chamari Connor, but I just think his role is so crucial to the defense, and especially against a guy that you are. You're president of the Chamari Connor thing. I am, and and also Oscar Bradburn. But uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, but in in terms of a player, I'm keeping my eye on. I think it's DJ Dallas, uh, the running back for Miami. I know he's not a perimeter guy, so I'm kind of cheating here. But uh, in terms of overall game planning, I think that with Virginia Tech's ones, and I know they've been rotating a lot, I actually feel pretty confident that if Virginia Tech can stop the running game, stop DJ Dallas from breaking open those big runs, you know, Miami only had 51 yards of 
of rushing against Central Michigan. So there's no excuse why it can't be Virginia Tech kind of putting in that performance. They looked good against A.J. Dillon and Boston College in week one on the road. So I, I think they could be impactful in the run defense game. Obviously, coming off a bad week at home against Duke, giving up, what was it, like 240-plus yards or 230-plus yards, whatever it was. Uh, and, and then again, DJ Dallas is a guy that's averaging over six yards per carry. So he's a guy that's extremely scary. He's, you know, in that mold of a typical Miami running back. Uh, but I think that if they make this game one-dimensional for Jaron Williams, that's the opportunity for Virginia Tech to really win on that side of the ball. Yeah, I think, you know, if Miami gets a running game going, it's basically over. Um, but maybe that, you know, we talked a lot about how Virginia Tech can't get a consistent pass rush this year. If Miami's getting rid of the ball quickly, they're not going to get to the quarterback. They're still not going to get to the quarterback this game. So maybe that advantage, that hopeful advantage we've been talking about, Virginia Tech's defense against Miami's offensive line shows up in the running game where they can bottle up Dallas, you know, 50 yards against Central Michigan. Um, gives you a little hope in that regard, and, and especially, um, you know, I think how they started the game against Duke. That's the thing is if they can put together four quarters of that, um, that would really help, I think, the, the thing that you worry about is it's just the big plays that, you know, eventually will break um, and really break the back of the Virginia Tech defense that happened against Duke. And I don't think they were churning out, you know, 10-yard runs every time. But, you know, they they ran it, they ran it, they ran it. They had a little bit of success. success. You know, I don't think there was anything glaring. And then and then you hit the big run. You get you get you know, defensive lineman, Reggie Floyd, those guys going the wrong way, and then they hit you going back the other way with the quarterback. Um, so that's that's really the the big worry. I think Virginia Tech can probably bottle up DJ Dallas fairly well, but if they're just gonna, if Miami commits to it, will they eventually hit hit a big one that changes the game? Yeah, and for Virginia Tech, I'm also circling those linebackers, Rayshard Ashby and Dax Hollifield. It looks like when they're when the defensive line is able to kind of control the gaps and and they can kind of just run full steam ahead, that they do well. But once a, a running back, an opposing running back, is in open space, it's tough for both of those guys who aren't the best laterally, aren't the best athletes laterally, I should say. Uh, to kind of chase them down. So I think it will be a big game uh, for guys like Alan Tisdale. Maybe we'll see a little bit of Keyshawn Artis. I thought he actually looked decent against Duke uh, in the open field. Yeah, Tisdale's the one that, I mean, you mentioned Brevin Jordan earlier and how Jamari Connors is probably going to get that matchup. I think Divine Diablo will probably be, you know, match up there, but you know, I think Miami's going to want to try and get him in situations where, he, where he's matched up on matched up on the backer. So, I, you know, would you rather have Dak Hollyfield chasing him around, or maybe give Allen Tisdale a shot there? Um, I think that's something to watch. The last thing I do want to bring up about the Miami offense: we saw a big trick play uh, from Duke, the throwback pass, and, and then over the top, where literally wide open. Uh, Deion Jackson walked into the end zone. I have to bring up this name, and this is the only way I know how. Do you think Tate Martell gets the opportunity to to put on a trick play? I'll say yes. Um, it's on film that it worked. Um, and uh, he, he's been playing a little bit at wide receiver this year. Um, they got him still listed as the back of quarterback, but you know, worth a shot. I mean, this is a game that both teams are going to try and win. So I expect Manny Diaz to kind of end the playbook. And we'll see. <laughs> I'll also mention that they did have a bye week last week. So maybe they saw that play and Tate's now perking up in practice, knowing that he has a chance to show off his arm for once. But I do want to. He probably texted, uh, he probably texted their offensive coordinator as soon as that play happened. Yeah, and said, put me in, Coach. <laughs> yeah, do you see that play, Coach? I can do that. 
I can definitely do that. If Duke could do it, I could do that. Um, But I do want to switch things over to the defensive side of the ball. Now, maybe not the biggest of headlines, but this is one that that is kind of getting pushed back a little bit. But uh, Trayvon Hill makes his revenge game tour against Virginia Tech, the former Virginia Tech defensive end who was dismissed last year after the Old Dominion game. Uh, I wrote about it today, but that seemed like the turning point of, of Fuente going from this acclaimed head coach and ACC coach of the year to all of a sudden his job is in question, his staff's jobs are in question, uh, and then, you know, a, a moment of redemption for Trayvon Hill that, you know, all these negative headlines for whatever happened behind the scenes, and this is kind of his chance to show up and and kind of punish Fuente uh, wearing a different shade of orange. And for Fuente, really, this is, you know, this is one of those games that, that many people expected Virginia Tech to lose. Granted, nobody expected both of these teams to be 2-2 two and two to this point. But for Fuente, can he have that moment of redemption uh, against a team that has Trayvon Hill and kind of right the ship a little bit? Uh, but other than Trayvon Hill, who's the second string defensive end, I mean, Miami's defense looks legit. I always say that week after week, that they're one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in the Coastal, number 13 overall in total defense. Possibly the best linebacker combo in America with Shaq Quarterman and Michael Pinckney, uh, and then a very solid back end. Uh, they do return two guys, Nesta Silvera. He wears number one, and he's a defensive tackle, which means he has to be good. And then they have Bubba Bolden, a USC transfer, whose waiver got approved, and I know there's some grumbling amongst Virginia Tech fans when his waiver got approved and that he was set to make his debut against Virginia Tech. What are your overall thoughts on this Miami defense? It's a typical Miami defense. I mean, they've been good for the last several years. That's why Miami Diaz got the Temple job before he got the Miami job a couple of days later because they've been really good on defense. And um, I don't think it changes much. Um, this year, uh, you talked about their strength at linebacker, Shaq Quarterman, Michael Pinkney, um, Romeo Finley's kind of in there. He plays their, basically their version of the whip. But I think if you combine them, I think they've started like 90-something games for Miami over the last few seasons. Um, Quarterman and Pinkney are were all ACC first-team picks in the preseason. So, um you know, they're talented and they're aggressive and fast and we'll get into the backfield and you'll see their defensive backs flying up to the ball. Um, I don't know how well Virginia Tech's jet sweep game is going to work <laughs> with guys, with their with their athletes kind of attacking, um, attacking from the secondary. But um, it'll be interesting to see what, I mean, this is the big thing is even if Virginia Tech's defensive line can can get into the backfield and all that that we talked about with Miami's offense. You know, Virginia Tech's still really struggling on on offense themselves, and they're running into one of the one of the top, you know, the thirteenth in total defense, the so one of the top fifteen defenses in the country, playing at home. Um, I think I think I think this this is going to be a, a tough challenge for the Virginia Tech offense. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, they only put up 10 points against Duke's defense. Again, you know, solid team, but but really when you're talking about Miami versus the Duke defense, it's completely different. And then personally, I'm very worried about the amount of screen time that the turnover chain is going to get uh, because if Virginia Tech just keeps turning over the ball, I mean, they might have over 10 minutes of, of footage of, of people just wearing that that stupid chain. I mean, some people like it. I personally don't like the turnover gimmicks. Granted, theirs is probably one of the better ones, and they kind of started that movement. Um, but, yeah, you, you said it all. It just seems like this is a bad time for Virginia Tech with all their offensive struggles to play one of the best defenses. I think it's going to be extremely tough to establish the run. 
Uh, you know, they, they've failed to do it countless times this season. Uh, if they don't turn over the ball, sure, they'll have opportunities. Uh, but, but in your estimation, where do you see Virginia Tech's advantage, if any, uh, when they're playing the Miami defense? I don't know if there is one. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the one thing is, you know, Damon Hazleton's a real player. And if he can come back, you know, we, this will be his week two, I guess. If he if he's back to being, you know, the guy that bumps all passes against Notre Dame last year, I don't I don't think Virginia Tech has, had, has really had that this, this year. I mean, Trey Turner has been hurt since the Boston College game. So if they can get Hazleton back, you know, where he can be kind of a dominant physical option at wide receiver, um, that's and when when those one on one battles, I mean Miami's got good good corners, but um Trajan the Bandy is um one of their starters, he's five foot nine. Um, you know, maybe you get an advantage there. I, I, I mean against this front seven when you're talking about a front seven with two all ACC linebackers, I don't think, you know, a, a running game is going to be much of a, you're going to have much success against the front seven like that. So then you got to look, you got to look in the passing game and, you know, where, where can Virginia Tech create something? I don't think, I don't think you'll be counting on like Caleb Smith or Kavion Robinson to make a, to, to carry the load offensively. So I think, I think you got to count on or hope that a guy like Damon Hazleton can get back into the flow of things. Yeah, and we'll also see if Bubba Bolden, the guy that transferred from USC to Miami, I know they're trying to incorporate him as best as they can. If that kind of changes anything in the back end in terms of communication, I kind of wonder, you know, I'm going to say it every week, but Virginia Tech's best offense is on the perimeter, and they have to somehow establish a a good pass blocking between their – offensive linemen and also get the run game going a little bit to open up the back end. So I'm really not sure how they're going to be able to run the ball. I think it's going to be a pretty brutal game in in that regard. Uh, Maybe Keyshawn King can uh, pull a rabbit out of a hat, but it's going to be tough against a really strong front seven out of Miami, really good linebackers, really good defensive line play. So I I just think this is a case of – a bad time for the Virginia Tech offense, but who knows? I just, you know, the jet sweeps don't seem to be working, don't seem to be, uh, you know, a good thing to do against this Miami defense, but, you know, we'll see. It's Brad Cornelson's up against the wall right now. All of Twitter's after him, so it'll be interesting to see if maybe he can, you know, show something. Uh, but the last thing I want to talk about is special teams. <laughs> And we normally don't do this, but I have to do this. It, it is, I've been looking forward to this since National Signing Day. And a lot of people listening right now are like, are you kidding me? You're talking about special teams. Yes, I am. Lou Headley, the punter for Miami, is an Australian guy, massive guy. I think he's like 6'4", 230. So a massive guy that's a punter, Australian. And fully tatted. I mean, every extremity has tattooed ink on it. Uh, Oscar Bradburn, my favorite player. Yes, I'll be biased there. I can be biased towards punters. Also an Australian. I propose to the ACC Network that before their launch, they should probably do a special on these two Australian punters and maybe go out to a night at the bar with the two. But that never ended up happening. Uh, but this is the matchup of the year for me. I think both are awesome players, awesome punters, both in the Ray Guy conversation for punter of the year. Uh, in all seriousness, anything to add here on special teams? <laughs> you covered the punting. Um, I guess Australia is pumping out some punters right now, but um... – I think Virginia, if Virginia Tech wins this game, they have to make a play on special teams. Um, whether that's flipping the field position with your boy Oscar or getting a big return, blocking a punt, something like that, I think the, the formula to win this game is going to be to to play as good a defense as you can 
Um, hope you created a turnover. I know we talked about Jaron Williams not throwing an interception in the interception yet this year, but you know maybe that means he's due for due for an interception. So you can you can play defense and and swing a game, swing field position, or make a play on special teams. Um, you know maybe we you know, we didn't give Virginia Tech's offense much of a chance to to do anything. Um, talking about that, so you got to create something somewhere and. I think that's that's the formula, and you know maybe your boy Oscar fakes the punt or something, and oh my god, plays the game there. I don't. <laughs> if that happens, I don't know what you'll do, but I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, if if he throws, if he's entrusted with throwing a fake punt pass for a touchdown to like Damon Hazelton streaking down the sideline, I will literally I will go ballistic. But I do want to kind of wrap things up here and. Go to the dreaded score prediction. What do you think the final is going to be out of Hard Rock Stadium on Saturday afternoon? So I gave the formula for Virginia Tech win. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Virginia Tech offense is going to struggle against this really good Miami defense. Playing on the road and playing in Hard Rock Stadium when, when Miami gets rolling defensively, um, it's a really tough place to play, and you know Virginia Tech's a team that clearly struggled to kind of right the ship after the fumble against Duke, and things are going to be hostile down there if if things start to go wrong this week. Um, so I'm not expecting much in, in the way of you know Virginia Tech offense, and then a turnover happens, and then and then the floodgates open. Um, so I'm going to pick, go ahead and pick a 33-13 to 13 Miami win. 33-13. So I, I'm in the same boat. I think Miami will, will win this game at home. Uh, it's going to be tough for the Virginia Tech offense. I'm, I'm very excited. I guess excited isn't the right word, but um, I'm anxious to see what the quarterback situation will be for Virginia Tech because I think that – Ryan Willis, if you have to go on the road, you're playing against one of the biggest rivals Virginia Tech has in the Coastal uh, at their place. A guy that's been on the road before, he's done it in Ryan Willis. Will this be kind of the game that that he gets himself right? I don't know if that's going to be the case, and I don't know that you you can expect him to kind of rewrite the season against the number 13 overall total defense. so I know a lot of people have been talking about, will it be Hendon? Will it be Ryan? I think Ryan will get the start. I think they'll give him a few series to kind of see what he can do, if he's able to make plays, the right reads, if he trusts his offensive line, and especially if he can limit turnovers, ball security. Um, but if he's struggling, I mean, this is Miami all the way. I think Hendon Hooker will get a look regardless I think they're going to need to make something happen in the run game. And, you know, I mentioned it last week without Jalen Holston, a guy that can be your bruiser back down the middle. And you're really stuck with the same running backs and Keyshawn King and Deshaun McLeese. You need to make something happen, which is why we're seeing all these jet sweeps. They're trying to open something up on the perimeter uh, to, to establish the interior run game. And I think a guy like Hendon Hooker, just knowing that he's a, a running threat, uh, could spark something in the running game. So I definitely expect both to play. As of now, I'm expecting Ryan Willis to play a majority of the game. But if if the same story continues, it's going to be Hendon Hooker. And I don't think it's going to be very pretty against Miami. So with all that being said, I have Miami 31 and Virginia Tech 14. So I'll throw this at you. If Virginia Tech loses, in the manner that we're predicting, you know, 30 to 31-14, basically predicting losing by three scores, Virginia Tech comes home um, to play Rhode Island the next week, which should be a win. Is that the week where, you know, you're two and three after two blowout losses where the offense hasn't done much? Is that the week where you turn it over to Hendon Hooker full-time? I think it has to be, right? Because, I mean... This is the Duke game was already one of those seven games that you have to win this year to to make it to a bowl game. 
to keep that streak alive. And I think with a loss in Miami, already two and three, uh, yes, you have Rhode Island, which is a feel-good game, uh, but then there's going to be really tough tests against UNC and Notre Dame. Uh, I, I think it's it's time to, to kind of not give up, but to evaluate what you have other than Ryan Willis. Because if he's not getting the job done, you, you can't just keep beating the same drum. Uh, I know it's tough against Miami, but look, this is what he signed up for. He's the starting quarterback. He's the guy that has had to make plays this year for Virginia Tech to be successful, and he hasn't been able to do so. So I think if you keep struggling, you have to find other ways to develop quarterbacks. And I think the number one way to develop any of the other guys, whether it's Quincy Patterson, whether it's Hennon Hooker, I think you have to start trotting them out there and trusting them to throw. They're going to go through growing pains. It's going to be a brutal season uh, for Fuente to kind of save his face, but I think that's what you ultimately have to end up doing. Well, number one is I wish they would have uh, let Hooker throw the ball a little bit there in the last four minutes against Duke um, instead of just hand it off again. Um, but, you know, you think if, if Willis is as banged up as he as it seems he's banged up and it's limiting him to the point where, you know, Virginia Tech's only scoring 10 against Duke and, you know, 13 or whatever – they score against Miami, um, you know, maybe maybe you sit them down for three weeks, sit them down for Rhode Island, sit them down for UNC, and sit them down for that bye week before Notre Dame. And, and you know, maybe you, you, get your, you get your chance to evaluate Hooker and see what he can do and give him a shot to really kind of, I guess, loosen him up, unleash him, whatever you want to call it. But then maybe you come back in the final five games with, Ryan Willis that's you know healthier because he's not going to get much healthier if you keep playing him and you know if he continues to be ineffective and you know and you go to a two quarterback system and then he's still going to be ineffective because he's banged up or whatever so you got to sit him down at some point so maybe that's what we're looking at yeah I will say that and, and this is my brutal honesty here I think that if Virginia Tech wants to win seven-plus games this year, which now it seems expectations have slowly shifted from 10 to 9 to 8 to now 7 just to get to a bowl game, I truly believe that that Ryan Willis is really the only guy that can do that. And the only reason I say that, and and really the reason why I'm saying that I want to see Hendon Hooker at the same time, is because we don't know what anyone else can do. Hendon Hooker had his first two passing attempts last week. So as much as I want to see him in action to evaluate him, to see what he brings, and knowing that he's more of a running threat and can really challenge defenses in that regard, Ryan Willis is clearly the best passer. He's clearly the guy that's entrusted the most with the offense. And I think that speaks volumes of what the other two quarterbacks are at this point in time. And and so – I do like the approach of of maybe slowing down Ryan Willis, letting him heal. If it's an injury issue, uh, so be it. But I think in total, the game is just moving too fast for him. That some of the reads on third downs, how many times have you seen him throw behind the line of scrimmage on a third and long, uh, hoping that his guy would make a play for seven plus yards against three defenders? It just, there's so many questionable plays, throws, whatever it may be. Um, for Willis to have success this season. I think he just needs to take a step back. I, I do like that approach of, of maybe sitting him out for that Rhode Island game, seeing what Quincy and Hendon can do and really getting a, a full picture. Uh, I know it's not against the best competition, but really seeing what their arm talent is and, and seeing how they attack the defense, uh, both on the ground and through the air. Uh, but with Ryan Willis, just I, I, I really do believe he's – the best quarterback of the bunch, despite how he's playing this year. But yeah, I mean, that's just my two cents on that. I, I agree with you. I think Willis is clearly the number one guy. And, you know, for, if Virginia Tech is going to get the seven win, he's going to continue to play. Um, I just think that at some point you got to look and say he, he's too banged up to play. He's too, like, whatever is bothering him, he needs he needs time to rest up and if you're going to try and make a run at seven you know seven wins um you know i think you can you can count the rhode island game and 
you know, you gotta you gotta choose whether you want to go after that UNC game. And <laughs> I mean, after their hot start, they're you know they've lost three in a row here. They look great against Clemson, but I don't think they're world beaters. And we'll, when when we talk about that game, the way we talked about Miami defense and how Virginia Tech's offense is going to struggle mightily and all that stuff, I don't think we're going to have a similar conversation. So maybe this is your opportunity. To, to sit Willis, um, at least after this week, that's your opportunity to sit Willis and try and um, try and get him right, kind of for that five game finish in November. Yeah, and it's funny because every time we're like, we'll see what happens. Maybe Willis will have a pop off game against Miami. All of a sudden, Virginia Tech beats Miami. The entire Twitter sphere is now, you know, rethinking their opinions on Fuente and Cornelson. Who, like, as much as I would like to say that every time. I'm challenging Virginia Tech to prove me or you wrong. It seems like they're just proving us right. So, you know, we'll see after this week. I think it's definitely a a valid conversation to have next week after we see what happens on Saturday. Um, But, Doug, that is going to be it for tonight. A lot of analysis. I didn't really want to go too hard into um, the overarching questions regarding the team as it's only, what, week six now, I think a lot of those conversations will continue to occur each week, and I think we'll have a little bit more information to work off of. Uh, Just now it seems a little premature, so it doesn't seem like we should be harping on it all too much. Yeah, we can talk about it in hypotheticals and all that stuff, but by, by the middle of November going into the final couple games, I think things will be much clearer one way or the other. And now for the one fan that called us out for being a little too negative, any positive final thoughts for Virginia Tech facing Miami on Saturday? Um, I think Oscar Bradburn yes. had a really good game. Absolutely, and I 100% agree with you. Doug, thanks once again for joining up with us and, and talking a little Virginia Tech football. Yep, Absolutely. Hey guys, it's Matei here again with Matei's Takes to wrap things up for this episode of the podcast, talking a little bit about Duke, talking about the overarching problems of this Virginia Tech squad, previewing Miami. Look, when we get into this, Doug and I haven't given Virginia Tech a chance in this game, and I think the one takeaway is that we are being a little harsh on Virginia Tech. Both of us kind of have an ideal view of how Virginia Tech should be performing on both sides of the ball, and it's safe to say that they've been underperforming right now. Now, that's not to say that Miami is this massive juggernaut, that they should be winning by two touchdowns or what have you, but the way that I look at it, Miami is in very much the same boat as Virginia Tech. They're struggling to find an identity offensively. Their defense is solid. Uh, but they can't rely on that unit to win them football games right now. You look at their previous matchup against Central Michigan, they only won 17-12. to 12. They had 51 rushing yards. Jaron Williams fumbled the ball. He looked okay in the pocket passing the football. But I think that if Virginia Tech's defense, Bud Foster, can come out fired up, play similar to what they showed in that first quarter against Duke. I'm not saying they have to limit Miami to five total yards, but if they can kind of balance it out across all four quarters, Virginia Tech will hang in the game. I think that offensively, we want to see Virginia Tech really establish the run. It's tough against this Miami front, but it's not impossible. Other teams have been able to do that. They've been able to scrap up big plays on the perimeter I think Virginia Tech has a lot of weapons they can use. Ryan Willis is going to need to have a solid game. So many times we've seen him have a bad game. We've seen turnovers be the Achilles heel of this offense. We've seen indecision be the Achilles heel of this offense. And I think that if they can kind of clean those things up, the team has said they've had brilliant days of practice. Everyone's focused in on this. We'll see if that's all talk. We'll see if they can start to mount things together build some positivity, build some things to work off of on the offense. As bad as Virginia Tech has been 
this season through four games, we still haven't seen the best unit of Virginia Tech, at least offensively. We've seen really good defensive stretches, but we haven't seen them do it consistently throughout four quarters. So if we haven't seen the best Virginia Tech team, when's a better time to show up than when your backs are against the wall after you took a humiliating loss against Duke, and now you have to prove it to the world? I mean, these players are trying to win. They're tired of hearing all the pundits on social media calling them out. For Ryan Willis, this is really becoming one of the last straws for him. Can he put in a solid performance? Can he beat the secondary of Miami? I truly believe that when you're evaluating these teams, and I look at this Duke team and I said, you know what, they're too solid all over. Nothing special about them, but they don't make mistakes, and they do enough to hang in there and win some games. That doesn't mean I see them as an ACC Coastal favorite. I just think the way that they matched up against Virginia Tech favored them, even though they were the road team. When I see Virginia Tech and Miami, I see two teams that are kind of struggling to find their identity, and I think that gives a little sense of optimism for Virginia Tech fans that maybe this is a game they can steal on the road. Miami isn't the typical Miami team this year. They've struggled against UNC. They struggled against Florida. They struggled against Central Michigan. So there's definitely ways to beat this team. I think if they keep it close in the fourth quarter, there's definitely a chance that Virginia Tech can steal it on the road. I'm not counting them out just yet. I'm just saying from all the evidence I've seen this season, it leads me to predict that Miami will win this game. At the same time, I think Miami really needs to prove at home that they're the better squad. Manny Diaz is in a lot of turmoil as well. A lot of Miami fans calling for a new coach to come in already throughout four games of his tenure as the head coach. So we'll see what happens. I think Virginia Tech definitely needs to keep this one close. If this one's blown open as past games have shown, then there's a lot of underlying problems and maybe significant changes need to be made. Before we jump to that conclusion, let's see what happens on Saturday. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode. I promise as we keep doing these episodes, we'll get better. Guys, we'll see you again next week. I get no better.